morning. I'm ready to preach. So a new law was passed, and I know this is a year or two old, but I just want to kind of go over the darkness that is kind of looming and kind of creeping in. This morning's message is simply called resisting the darkness, okay? Resisting the darkness. A lot of times we just play defense with our shields, but it's kind of time to take some offensive with our swords, right? So resisting the darkness, not just playing defense all the time. A new law passed recently in Ontario, Canada, and I mentioned this a few months back, I think, stating that if your son, let's just say your son at the age of eight decides that he is a girl, yet you refuse to let him go into a school and address or identify or express himself as a girl, the government has the right to take that child out of your home. <clears throat> as well as the things that are going on, and I'll get to this in just a moment, but this is Bill 89. I'm just going to read a couple of highlighted parts from it. It appears kind of to effectively give wide jurisdiction to the state um, to control. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. When the government gets bigger and bigger and bigger, right, and they start to take things and start to take your rights and so forth, it appears to effectively give this wide jurisdiction to the state to control the lives of children um, in the CAS and doing so interfere with the parent-slash-child relationship. This occurs by defining the best interest of the child. So broadly as to include, listen to this carefully, the child's physical, emotional, mental, and developmental needs, as well as the child's race, ancestry, place of origin, color, ethnic origin, citizenship, family diversity, disability, creed, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. Notice that no longer says religion. So they can discriminate towards religion. That is, these broad sweeping provisions in the legislation make every family vulnerable to the removal of their children from their home. And a lot of this started with foster care. So if you have two parents that wanted to be foster parents and they take children into the home, they will now look at you much, much more um, thoroughly and scrutinize the situation to make sure that certain beliefs aren't being pressed on the kids that are coming out of the foster care, even though these children need homes, they just don't want them to go at homes to parents that are pushing certain things on them that don't allow the child to choose or express themselves, especially when it comes to gender identity, sexual orientation, expression, what have you. So a couple more things that it says is no longer can parents direct their child's religion, but rather it is the child's creed to just kind of decide whatever they want. This provision will create conflict with the family, such over, listen to this, issues as abortion, gender identity, or listen to this, or even assisted suicide if the child decides that what he or she wishes. Darkness looming everywhere, right? Darkness left to ourselves. We are in a sad state. The CAS is required to consult with the child. That the child or young person and their parents have an opportunity so they can be heard. They need to have their voice heard. Children, of course, need to be protected from genuine abuse, right? Because if you're not letting them choose, even at the age of eight, their sexual identity, then that's a form of abuse on your part as a parent. Okay? Darkness, right? This is just a really small small little piece of one little piece. Bill 89 also extends the jurisdiction to the state by permitting the minister to issue a compliance order 
obviously, and if they don't, then they can be held to a, a different kind of a consequence, and pastor has talked to you about that before. The bill is under control over the traditional natural family and usurps the responsibility of the parent to raise their children according to their own values, and, and I looked into this a little bit more. It has a lot to do with the foster care system, but it is also every family could be in jeopardy of losing children that they don't let choose, even at the age of eight, if a boy wants to wear a dress to school, then if they say, no, you can't do that, then the government could see that as unfit to be a foster parent and come in and take those children from you. So <clears throat> not to mention the stuff that was going on in Deerfield, Illinois, where they were confiscating um, guns already. Did you guys see that? Um, and basically saying that it was about cosmetics and aesthetics and not really form or function of the gun, but they were just taking like AR-15s and assault rifles and so forth from the home um, because it was there in attempts to make the society safer. So they actually passed that, I think, and there's a big deal. I don't know if you saw any of this. Anyone see this in Deerfield, Illinois? Kind of crazy. So <clears throat> I, I, don't, I don't have anywhere else to go. You know, when I, I told the kids about this reverse altar call that Jesus pulled in the scriptures in the, in the gospels where he says to his disciples, if you don't want to be here, there's the door. That, that's what Jesus said. He offered this reverse altar call, not come forward to the altar, but there's the door if you don't want this. And the disciples, it kind of narrowed down from the big crowds down to his disciples. And he was like, you want to leave too? And they were like, Lord, which is another word for master or boss, right? Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. Is that how you feel this morning? Like, where else am I going to go? I'm not speaking about new hope. I'm talking about the Christian faith. <clears throat> what else do we have? So I want to talk to you this morning about resisting the darkness. Clearly, we live in a perilous time, an age of lawlessness. The scriptures all through the Bible warned us about when we read in the word of God that there's going to be unspeakable darkness and a great falling away in the last days before Christ returns. We know that, okay? Most of us probably never really thought that we would live to see a day like this. And if you think that this is bad, wait until Jesus raptures the church out and then the Holy Spirit, the restrainer of evil, is gone. And then untold terror, right? unharnessed, unleashed terror. But the, the thing is, is that we see the things now like, oh man, these things are going on, they're so crazy. But I fear what kind of generation we're gonna leave for our sons and our daughters without, without God's intervention. Do you ever have that concern, parents? Like what, what are we doing? What kind of generation are we leaving before them? So I wanna go into several scriptures. You can turn to Psalm 140. Before he became king, David also lived in a season when his own nation was in a fearful spiritual decline. This self-will, this spiritualism under King Saul was on, was on kind of a display, leading the nation toward what inevitably would become a certain defeat without this godly or divine intervention. And David soon found himself being pursued by this army. And Pastor May even have gotten into this a little bit on Wednesday night. He was being pursued by an army that hoped to cast off all that was represented and anything that represented God. So we know that David ultimately ended up being someone that made a difference. We know that. We refer to him a lot. Okay? So in, in, in this hour um, where perversion that we live in now, it's kind of, it's paraded. Morality is, um, we see a denigration or degrada a degradation of a society. You and I, Christians, Christ followers, are really the only ones that can bring a type of a spiritual awakening back to this nation. Amen? So 
Just as David did in his day, he had that, God called him to do that. So we have this power with God, and I believe we've been, kind of been in a moment of mercy. Would you agree with that? But the scary thing about moments of mercy isn't continuing to ask God for more mercy. It's getting content and satisfied and complacent and just kind of chillax, right? So we think like we're in this moment of mercy. Well, everything's going to be cool maybe for the next X amount of months or years. But this moment of mercy where we need to really resist the darkness that wants to completely swallow our society. So the question is, as someone who goes to New Hope Church or someone who is part of the Church of Jesus Christ, what are we exactly to do? What are we supposed to do as Christians? If you look at Psalm 140, you can kind of look at David. He was in a cave. He wrote this psalm. Um, he, he was, there was violence absolutely everywhere. The, there was a madman pursuing David, and his own people were even urging him and trying to convince him and influence him to kill Saul. But see, David understood that this was not how the kingdom of God was going to advance. Just all the killing, all the violence, and all the revenge and vengeful spirits. So he, he did what we have to do today so we can model a few things of what David kind of show, showed us in that time. Number one, praying for deliverance from the age. Does that make sense? Praying for deliverance as Christians from the age in which we live. Psalm 141 and 2 basically, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. Someone is always constantly scheming against you. Okay? If it's not a person of this world, it is the, the imps and the demons and the spiritual warfare that you cannot see. My wife and I hung out with a couple last night and something was brought up like, I wonder if we, when we get to heaven, that we'll be able to kind of look back and see the spiritual warfare, like actually see the spiritual warfare that was taking place as you and I tried to live and navigate our way through life. Like to see like right now what is happening. Are there angels and demons battling it out in this sanctuary for your soul and for decisions that you're faced with? Absolutely. Right? Right now, in your head, all around you, the, the enemy's saying, just turn it off, don't listen, you're more worried about your calendar and where you're going to eat and things like that. The enemy will sidetrack you at any level that he can with ridiculous thoughts that will come into your head, even right this moment. So David wasn't really referring to only the people outside who were pushing him into the cave and pursuing him, but really those inside as well. Those whose speech was really um, given to anything other than godliness, which we struggle with at times, and who were looking for a solution in, in um, humans. And David really felt called to something higher and than this, listen to this, than this petty violence that's going on. Have you ever look around you in your life, whether it's at your workplace or your family, and you're like, really? Am I really spending time on this? Issues, just silliness, petty things. We need to be really concentrating on the big things that are trying to take out our society, Christians, and our children, right? And that battle happens in the spirit. 
So David felt called to this. He had kind of a different calling inside of him. See, David at that time was a Christ type of this generation. We know that an example of somebody who was really guided and empowered by the Spirit of God. We have to pray for deliverance from the spirit of the age, number one. Maybe even saying, Lord, I don't want to be part of the problem. But I don't want to find myself contributing to the problem. I want to be part of the solution. Help me get my mind back on spiritual things. Get me away from all the media and anything that might poison my spirit that caused my speech to lose its effectiveness as it becomes exactly the way of the world. Take inventory right now of your own life. Or maybe, God, give me the spirit, different, a, a different spirit from this age in which I live. Give me your Holy Spirit. Fill me with the Holy Spirit of God. Give me your thoughts, your mind, your compassion for the multitudes. Remember, the enemy is not people. Help me to even pray and love my enemies. So David goes on in this Psalm, Psalm 146 through 8 and says, I said to the Lord, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Amen? You have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further their wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. You ever, have you ever seen, I think it's Psalm 37 that talks about don't be envious of evildoers because certain they will wither as the green herb, right? But we get so caught up in this person's promoted and this person gets that and they get to go here and they get to do this. That's a really low standard. God says, you're, you're different. I'm giving you my Holy Spirit to be able to get through all of these things. So in other words, this scripture is saying, cover my head in the day of battle. Help me not to listen to the voice of the enemy or maybe even succumb to the threats of the wicked. Okay, how many of you are pretty thick-skinned? Like you don't let a whole lot rattle you. Just put your hand up, about half. Others, this is you when you're going to bed. Because it's maybe sometimes just a temperament or a personality difference to where we, we care what people think, and we don't want people upset, and things that people say to us, maybe it hurts, and man, we can't get over it for a long time. It's probably 50-50, depending on your personality and temperament, sometimes even genetics. He's stubborn. She's hard-headed, right? That she gets that from her mom, right? So... I'm sure David remembered when he was young and a voice arose to the opposite side of the valley, really challenging the armies of, of Israel. And day after day, that the Goliath would come out and basically say, you don't have the power to overcome these things that are against you. You don't have the power to do this, so yield it now rather than be humiliated. <laughs> Laughing. That's my giant laugh. I'm sure David remembered when he was young hearing those voices constantly see David listen to this I love this because he refused the armor of Saul he refused it you go into battle and you're putting on armor that you don't really aren't familiar with what's your battle gear how many times has the Lord met with you in private you know what he's equipped you with See, you can go to those giants with the with the arsenal of weaponry that you have because a lot of times it's specific 
And David's like, I don't want the armor of Saul. I'm going to be comfortable with what I'm familiar with, what God has given me a gift and talents in. So he picks up a rock. But it's him. It's who he is. So he refused the armor of Saul and, and, and that was offered to him. He discovered really that God was faithful, like the verse says, to cover his head in battle and shield him from all the taunting of the enemy. So instead of listening to the voice in that generation, and all this Generation Z we talked about a few weeks ago, and how, I mean, I, as a youth pastor, it's overwhelming. The world will always win when it comes to entertainment and and just different things. The church can't compete against it until the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, starts to take over. And then the world can't compete with that. We need the Holy Spirit of God. I don't even know what the reaction would be. They'd be dumbfounded. They wouldn't know what to do. They would be dumbfounded in a world that taunts and mocks would have absolutely no clue. How awesome would that be? And that, that's the spirit that we should be going to prayer in, right? Every single day. Even a scripture or a song, whatever your schedule allows for to encourage yourself in the Lord as David did. He courageously, David, ran into the valley towards Goliath, saying, 1 Samuel 17, 45, You come to me with the sword, with the spear, and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Are you that close with the Lord that you would take an attitude and offense to that? My God, that is who you are. See, this weaponry looked foolish in the natural, but we know that David went on to win a great victory. And I believe that if I, if you, if we ask God to cover our heads, like the scripture says, in the day of battle, he will help us not to give in to the voices of this generation. See, not only did David ask him to deliver, uh, to ask God to deliver him from the spirit of the age, number one, but he also said in verse seven of Psalm 142, the righteous shall surround me and you shall deal bountifully with me. Thank God. See, this kind of brings us to the next piece of resisting the darkness in this hour, number two. Believe that your life will make a difference. Believe it. We have a lot of issues in the professional world with belief because people that aren't saved operate by sight. Maybe they're not quite the visionary that a Christian should be. You have a lot of secular visionaries, but when the Holy Spirit of God gets inside of somebody who's naturally a visionary, unlimited. Amen. Unlimited. My goodness. Believe. It's a belief system. When you try to tell the adults, maybe in the place that you work with, and you try to figure out their belief system, believing makes all the difference. Even if it takes months, years, or decades to accomplish, the whole attitude and approach of walking in with belief changes everything. Outlook sometimes determines outcome. And how you see it, if you're just kind of naturally a pessimistic patty, pray. Ask God to change that. All you negative Nancys and Debbie Downers, right? Man, you guys are a drag to be around. And if I had an appointment with you in my office face-to-face, -face, it would really, it would really um, 
It would really force me to see you as a human being and be a little more sensitive than I am right now. But since this is a crowd, man, you guys are a drag to be around. Negative people? Ew. As the teenager would say, ew. Right? Oh, man. You're laughing because you know you're negative. Just elbow your spouse if they're negative and say, my goodness, you need to seriously make some changes. Pray because God can make those changes in you. Ew. My goodness. See, you notice that when David said, the righteous shall surround me, it was actually this prayer of faith. For, because around him at that time were really discontented and distressed men who were in debt. So he was asking, to, man, surround me with the righteous, Lord, because even in this cave with people that are supposed to be on my side, this is really difficult. So, but David understood that this was not a, a physical fight. He, he, they, they wanted David to resort to this physical violence, violence and engage in this physical fight, but David understood something that they didn't, that the battle that they were called to was a lot deeper than what was on the outside. So we have to remember that we don't fight against flesh and blood, that we don't fight with physical weaponry. I did a concealed carry um, message last Sunday night with the youth and I walked up with the jacket on and I had about 17 weapons on me that were concealed. I laid them all out on the table and related that to the word of God because thy word have I hid or stored or concealed or another translation is treasured. I hold it as valuable inside of my heart that I might not sin against thee. So you might not know I have anything on me, but when a situation calls for it, I can recall that and have the words and the fight in those situations. How awesome is that? You're caught off guard. You're like, I, I, I have, because seven years ago, God showed me that scripture and took me through this valley, got me through it. I, that's part of my arsenal now. You there? So it was David that understood this on a much deeper level. See, we fight with spiritual weaponry. We fight with prayer. Listen to this. Oh, we fight with righteous living. I was in a conversation with a teenager last week, came over to our house, and we're saying, the best way that you can fight this and is just with righteous living. Because the way you live sticks out out it sticks out then peter says you can give reasons of the hope that is inside of you and no one can say that didn't happen about your testimony your story the pastor said by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony that's how i overcame share your story no one can say that's not true So it's kind of like David was saying, I see this day coming when the righteous will surround me, those whose hearts are right, who make right choices. I promise you that, you know, this morning's worship was great, but I promise you when all hearts in here are right, you've seen nothing yet. You've seen nothing. An unleashed, unharnessed, unhindered worship. You haven't seen it yet. And God's going to pour out his mercy 
and no one's going to be able to stop you from dancing. And this song of your in your heart, you won't be able to control when it comes out. And it's not going to be silly. It's not going to be foolishness. It's not going to be attention getting from humans. It's going to be a sweeping of the presence of God. His mercy is going to fall. I'm telling you. But it's in righteous living behind the scenes outside of these walls that's going to reflect the worship inside of this church. So as we understand this true battle that we all face is, you know, the, the, God is willing to give us his power. You know, they witnessed David living this different spirit and saw the hand of God really moving, really evident in his life. Something kind of changed inside that cave, inside of those, the hearts of those 400 men. They kind of came out of that cave as mighty. And they took on battles that could only be uh, won by the strength and the power and the spirit of God. And they started to become the change in their generation. This third thing I want to mention that David um, did that we have to do in this hour is he believed that God would give him victory. But again, it's about believing. Believing my life can make a difference. But believing that God will give me the victory because I cannot. Verse 12 says, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted. Amen. And, the, and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. We have to adopt another different belief system of believing God, believing in God, believing that God can do these things, believing that my life, your life, our lives can make a difference. So that was David's declaration in the cave, despite kind of what everything looked like outside of the cave and even inside of the cave. And there were only 400 people or men with him while there were thousands on the outside against him. So David got to a position he didn't know who he could trust anymore. So David kind of knew that the only one he could fully trust was still with him. He's still with you. He's still inside of me, and I can fully still trust someone. It's him. I can still fully trust Jesus. Because I know in my life, the victories that God has given me in the past, I know that he is still with me. I know that I've, I'm young and I'm older now, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken I, I, in my own life, I have slain bears, amen? In my own life, through the power and the grace of God, I have slain lions and giants. Have you? Amen. So you remember these victories and you transfer them over to your next inevitable battle. And you remember what the Lord has done. That was a shout out from the crowd on Wednesday night. Of why? Why are you here? Why do you show up? Why are you saved? And someone said, or what do you do to encourage yourself in the Lord? That was the question. And someone said, remember what the Lord has done for me. Causing yourself to remember those things that gives you strength and more, and more dependence on the Lord and reliance on Him. So he's declaring these things in the cave. You're the one who gave me the victory over a lion, a bear, and a giant. Same God, no matter how difficult life looked, so David lived to see this victory even in the scriptures talking about that he believed God for. So God's presence was being ushered back into Jerusalem at the time as his heart and the will of God was being fulfilled. David could not contain himself any longer like I just mentioned. He couldn't contain. Have you ever been in this position few and far between? Have you ever danced before the Lord? 
I'm not saying to transition into a full all-out dance team on Sunday morning. I'm just saying, have you ever been so encouraged, so excited that you can't handle it? You can't contain yourself. God delivered me. It looks weird. I don't care what they think or say. I I, I get on the balls of my feet. Man, God delivered me. He saved me. He loves me. He renewed my mind. Does that make you want to dance? I mean, David got to the point where he couldn't contain himself. He began to dance before the ark, the Bible says, with all of his might. I mean, there had to be more people dancing with them because it's a little contagious. Because if you're like, ew, <laughs> to the person dancing, right? And you're like, what kind of church is this? And you're, you're looking at someone. That you, I don't know what God has done for you in your life if you look down on somebody that's, oh, join them. What's God done for you? He's done nothing for, well then you gotta take inventory. Why do you come to church? To get? I love in your face messages. It goes well here at New Hope Church. So we're kind of at a crossroads in the church of Jesus Christ in the whole country, the world. We have to press in and resist the darkness. To resist the darkness. You think for a moment how, how darkness can encompass an entire ocean and storms can kind of come and threaten. Man, the rain last night? Anyone? I mean, who slept through that? Oh, I don't know. That's crazy. I'm envious of your sleeping patterns. So, man. So this, the storms can come in and the waves and the darkness swallows sailors and it swallows travelers and it makes their, listen, their passage impossible. Have you ever had an impassable, impassable, that works too, an impassable, impossible passage? Have you ever had that in your life and it looked that way and these storms are coming in and my wife and I, we tried to think last night of the different lighthouses that we've been to and and even in like Lake Ontario or Lake Erie or down in North and South Carolina and and, um, um, New England and different places. I remember Newport, Rhode Island, this hidden gem of a lighthouse, so awesome. Who's been there? Are you serious? So to the actual lighthouse? Okay, so, so what, what happens is this, all this darkness, this storm, these waves, all that seems to be opposing these travelers in their journey when one little small light bulb in the proper place can diffuse it all. One little light bulb. It can send out a beam for miles, five miles, ten miles and give hope and give direction and navigate their way to safety. And the, the bulb just kind of says, this way to safety, this way to safety, no matter how hard it tries, darkness cannot, cannot hide the light. So you hear Jesus saying, Matthew 5, 14, no wonder he says, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, cannot, cannot, not won't, or cannot be hidden. You can't hide. If you're actually living and, and living righteously and praying, and work, you can't hide because it just radiates from you without saying a word. So if you were willing to be given for the sake of others, we have to question the, the, the motives in Christianity. We can't be hidden. How do, I, how do I witness better? Just live righteously. Doors will open and God said, ask me for boldness like Peter, I'll give it to you. You'll be able to recall the victories and the lions and the bears and the giants that he's taken you through and then you shine and you love. And it says, do it gently and respectfully in Peter. 
If you're willing to be given for the sake of others. Too long in America, Christians have been self-focused. We, we kind of allow the society to sink in the darkness that is now threatening to, to swallow so many. But we can still be a city set on a hill if we're willing to make the journey. And say even to our peers and our colleagues and our family members, like a light bulb, this way to safety. This way to safety. Man, safety. How great, how great is the feeling of safety? And I can have that all the time with the Spirit of God who is my comforter. So it's important, band, I need you. Let's sing that song again. It's important to keep in mind that this is really not an hour for the church of self-seeking. It's not an hour for those who, who pray this foolish prayer, listen, of Hezekiah, if you remember. Man, this gives me an attitude when it comes to youth ministry, too. It says he was a, it was a man, he had incredible victories, but see, at the end of Hezekiah's day, when the prophet told him that his sons were going to be taken captive, Hezekiah praised him essentially. He basically was saying, and you can look up in 2 Kings 20, 19, but he was basically just saying, as long as it doesn't happen in my day, isn't that a good thing? No! That's never a good thing. That's one of the dumbest prayers I've ever heard. I mean, what kind of a, an outlook or an attitude or approach is that? Self-ish. I mean, as long as it doesn't happen in my day, isn't that a good thing? There's people in this generation say, well, as long as I'm safe, or as long as I'm just, you know, dead and gone before all this really a lot of evil comes on our society, isn't that a good thing? I mean, I'll be out of here. Man, it's never a good thing to have that type of an attitude. It's only a good thing for those who are attempting to live Christianity all about themselves. God has to deliver us from that prayer. That would be a childish prayer. That's a foolish prayer. So God has to deliver us from that. So may our prayer should be, God, cause us, cause us to, to understand that we do as the church of Jesus Christ have power to make a difference in our generation and in the generations to come. I was out on my back deck yesterday with my wife and I was kind of saying like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You can see things unfolding like crazy, but I was kind of just saying, you know, I really hope that you know, if something happens to me or her or both, I, I want people to be able to say about me that, that you know, I, I fought for them. He, he fought for them. He fought for in prayer in, in, for his nieces, for his nephews. He didn't quit. He fought for his students. He fought for the youth ministry kids. He fought for them. I want, it, I want that to be said about me. I was unwilling to have the younger generation be swallowed by a darkened time. Youth, I'm fighting for you, I promise. Do you want that to be said about you? They fought for them. They fought for the next generation. They didn't just make Christianity about themselves and about their infirmity and about woe is me and pity party posts on social media. Do something that doesn't have anything to do with yourself. Tell the next generation, babe, that I fought for them. Tell them that I wasn't willing. 
Tell them that I stood up like the word says and I was willing to be counted amongst those who were standing and who belonged to God. Let's stand to our feet. And I want to suggest to you that I don't know if we have a thousand tomorrows to get this right. As I look around, you know, the time for us now is to go to the throne. You can take the house lights down and and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Show me how you can use my life to save this generation from darkness. Darkness. Isaiah 59, 19 says, When darkness comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. You are that standard. Make a wall, join hands. You are the standard that God is talking about as you live and breathe and move in the Spirit of God. Father, I pray that you would be glorified this morning. I pray that you would call those to the altar this morning, that you would give them confidence, Lord Jesus. Anybody who has willing hearts, that you would make them more than they are, that you will give them faith beyond our natural ability, words that are deeper than anything that we can think of, that you would give us passion and power to fight for everybody, even our enemies, so that they can say they fought for them. They fought for them. They weren't willing for a generation to be swallowed up by darkness. God, as they come to the altar this morning, that you would give them in their lives impact on those around them, that you would give them a great victory. And God, that we will give you thanks and that we will give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, come to the altar. Get a shot of faith this morning. Be encouraged. Even if it's 30 seconds, there's something about coming down to a place and allegiance and surrender and submission and say, God, it has nothing to do with me. I need your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. It's that simple. Come to the altar, to the way maker this morning.